going on, good people? <clears throat> Welcome to another week. Good people. Three, three times dope podcast in the building. Um, yeah. All right. So, so quick question for you guys: What um, what's keeping you up late at night these days? <laughs> How do you know I didn't sleep last night? <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. But what's keeping you up late? H, we start with you. Yikes! I wish I had some prep for that question. Um, well, those are the best questions. The best questions is when you don't have prep for them, and like it gives you that real time data. Jinkies. Okay. Um. So I think I have not come into a very good post-COVID schedule, working at home. Like, mm. I feel like I'm, I get started late at night, which keeps me up late. Um, I'm eating late at night, which keeps me up later. Mm. I don't think I have a real good bedtime routine. So that's part mm. of it. Yeah. And I think the other thing about, like, what's on my head is there's so many things that I still want to do. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them I am doing right. I feel really good about the work and the projects and the and the things that I'm working on. But there's still some way that I'm wired that makes me feel like I should be doing something else. <laughs> I should be doing some more. I should be doing some other things. So I think between having poor habits, poor closeout habits in the evening, not having an evening routine and thinking about all the things I still want to check off on the box. It's just yeah. keeping me up at night. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was talking. Funny thing you mentioned about the uh, the 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 bedtime being up late or whatever. I was talking to my primary care physician today, and he was telling me his new regimen is uh, he's not eating before twelve. So like his breakfast will be like some kind of like uh, vegetable or fruit smoothie kind of thing, and then so he's uh, I guess incremental eating is what they call it. So he's eating like from minute fasting thing. Yeah, well, so he's eating from uh from twelve to eight, so he's not eating after eight. Um, huh. what so is like, it? What are the meals that he's preparing, Ray? I'm probably low carb, um, but I'm 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 not sure. I'll, I'll ask him, or maybe I'll bring him on, uh, to give us some some health tips in terms of what we should be doing. Um, yeah, that's tough yeah. for me because I'm not into breakfast. You're not into, but, but so so some studies say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I know I've never been into breakfast. I was a kid who had to catch the bus to school and was often like with a granola bar or something running, and the only time I could eat was yeah. on the way to school. Then when you're a teacher, you bring this great breakfast and you never eat it. As an administrator, right. you bring your breakfast, you never get to so, see it. It's ice cold. So I never had a kind of habit that was built around breakfast. I'll have yeah. water, I'll have coffee, maybe a piece of fruit, but I'm just not in the breakfast. And so I don't really get hungry till lunchtime, um, which pushes all my oh, meals back. Yeah. So I tell you what, though, Rob, before we let you jump in here, yeah. we could have a whole show on uh, on bringing lunch to school and not being able to eat it as an administrator. <laughs> 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 Hey Rob, jump in, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm echoing the food thing. Like, I, I'm actually a breakfast person. So, uh, y'all saw my picture at a Waffle House when I was <laughs> in Atlanta. So, you know, I guess I guess my my breakfast. Um, I'm actually not really a lunch person. Like, I could do without lunch and have something small, like a snack at lunch. Mm -hmm. um, but if I can get a good breakfast, I'm good. Um, yeah. I think in terms of what's keeping me up at night 
Um, I think just everything. Like, I don't know that I have one particular thing. I just feel like my mind races and um, I've had to take melatonin some nights to go to sleep mm. um, because like my mind just won't turn off during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it was, it's always been hard for me, to, harder for me to sleep. And I've never been a long sleeper as I've gotten older. So I'm usually up by five, six, you know, 7.30 is late for me. Um, and so, you know, we know H ain't up by 6.30. Nah, right? and y'all, no. And y'all be up early texting. Y'all see this? Y'all see that? Nah, nah I, be him and, I, I, be, I don't be me. I be trying to get my extra hour. Um, <laughs> but I, but I, I get it, though. Like I think one of the post-COVID uh, and during COVID as well, uh, things that I'm just having problems dealing with is just being around people. Because like I don't really trust people like that, because like I don't know what they're doing at their homes in order to keep themselves safe, and I still don't feel like we are safe. Um, and so I get a lot of anxiety when uh, when I'm around folks that I don't really know or trust that they're doing the best thing to keep themselves Interesting. safe. Yeah. And so yeah, I find myself like breathing. My breathing patterns are off, and like I'm just like I'm even just, if they have on a mask, right? Overly anxious. Well, no, when they have on a, I, I think it's like large gas. So, like when I have to go to the grocery store, I have to go to like a store that has like a large capacity of people. I find myself like ah, and it's like that way at school as well. However, it's like I think I'm able to get over it because I'm dealing with kids. Yeah, and so I feel like God gets me through that because it's like I feel like I'm ordained to to, to be around. <laughs> and so I think I think God gets me through the day. And so, yeah, so it's, it's tough out here. But we got a good show coming today. And so I think the first thing I want to know is what's in your cassette deck, right? And let me set this up because, you know, a lot of people are like, what's a cassette deck, right? Like, that's an analogy. And you could uh, talk talk about what's on your MP3, what's in your Apple Music, what's in your, 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 your Amazon playlist or whatever. I just want to know what you're listening to. So, H, what you listening to? And folks in the audience, let us know what you're listening to as well. So, you know, I love music. I The music will be on before the TV is on. And I also music definitely connects to how I feel and what mood or spirit I'm in. So if we look at what's running on repeat. So I got like Soul to Soul, Keep On Moving. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In the top. I got Sade, Sweetest Taboo. Um, and I also got some rare essence. Shout out to DC Go Go Heads. I I need my essence to get me going. Um, okay. And I also have been really enjoying Jasmine Sullivan's CD. And I'm really excited and proud that she won those Grammys. And I agree with a lot of other folks that her previous album was better than this one that won all of the awards. So I think that those are the three things that I want to repeat for me. Rare essence, Shade, Neo Soul, Keep On Moving, and Jasmine Sullivan. That's what's on repeat. That's what's up. Harry Doc, what's happening? What's in your cassette? Um, for some reason, I've been uh, really vibing um, with Big Sean uh, and just some of his, his early work that I've just found where he tells his story of growing up in Detroit. Um, I've just been on repeat, you know, in my ear pods when I'm working just Big Sean. The other one is um, I, I've moved away from music in the morning 
being my usual hip hop collection of Jay Z, Biggie, Pac, DMX, like that. And I, I've moved a little bit towards trying to calmly enter the workday mm. as opposed to entering like, <laughs> yeah, wow, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Where I'm like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Like, I need to. Uh, and so uh, I've been really digging into the crates of Thelonious Monk, Miles Davis, um, a little bit of Earth, Wind and Fire, um, just to kind of bring me into the day a little calmer uh, mm. so that I don't start off just elevated uh, with the world. Um, and actually, you know what else is in my cassette deck? And this is news because most people know that I kind of banned watching the news in the house. The last month, I've needed to watch the news in the morning. Like, I go back and forth between CNN, MSNBC, and then I listen to uh, NPR. Uh, for for whatever reason, that's that's calmed me. Um, and I don't know why. Maybe it makes me feel like, well, the world is spinning out of control and I don't feel like I'm crazy when I think that. I don't know, but I, I've in my cassette deck, I've actually pivoted away from that, uh, not watching that stuff and really started to dig into uh, that. And the other thing that I like to do in the morning with my cassette deck is, is watch um, uh, watch the... Uh, the show with uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and whatever, Max Kellerman. Mm -hmm. um, and I just find that for whatever reason, and I used to not really do that, but for whatever reason, I've needed the news lately to enter the day in addition to my musical selection. So, yeah, most people don't even know what a cassette deck is. Eight tracks. <laughs> talking about eight tracks. Facts, facts. So in my cassette deck, man, I'm listening to a little MSNBC in the morning. I like Morning Joe. And the reason why I like Morning Joe is because uh, Joe's a hypocrite. And so I like uh, being able to call Joe out on his bullshit because, yes. you know, so it's, it's like, you know, he goes on one of his, every every time him and Mika go on one of their, uh, their rants about being anti-Trump or whatever, I, I get this reminder of the fact that the reason why Trump is in office, one of the main reasons why Trump is in office is because hey, of Joe and Mika uh, and, 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 and that BS. So that's on my cassette deck. Um, yeah. uh, 90s R&B, like 90s R&B are a thing for me, right? Okay. Like Joe to see the shot, yeah. you know, and just like putting that okay. on a face, like letting it run. Like that gives me great calm uh, to be able to do that. Um I'm getting away from my, my rowdy stuff. But um, the other day, I was listening to um, my Cash Money uh, my cash money music uh, uh, playlist from, uh, from Apple Music, man. And I was just thinking about BG locked up for like the next 20 years or whatever, mm -hmm. weapons violations and, uh, and witness intimidation. But I, I, I was thinking about those fellas, man. I was thinking about cash money to the 992,000, man. That <laughs> error right there, that error for me right there was just like, it gave me great joy in life to be able to witness that live and in person and to be from uh, Louisiana while that was happening. It was, uh, it, it was, it gave me a great sense of pride to be able to witness that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, we, we got a lot of stuff we got to get to, man. Let's get to it. So question number one, DC public schools loses money for their pre-K. 
Um, H, you you most recent uh, uh, DC public schools. So talk to us about about uh, DC public schools and what the hell happened here, because this yeah, is a trap. So so that was an article that I shared from WAMU, um, and it had come out about a year or so ago. So it isn't new news, but it had been updated because there was this thought that they'd be able to uh, do some corrective action to reclaim some of this money and this funding. And so basically um, there had been, like many districts, having a real tough time trying to like regulate, legislate early childhood and universal pre-K. And so there are a lot of data that has to be collected. There's a lot of uh, accountability around supervision and young children and adults and certified teachers and snack and health and wellness and all of these things. And so, you know, like many school districts, they had not been able to um, appropriately justify the funding. And so what we see is a loss. We see that that is gonna have a negative impact on young people um, most likely those who are situated furthest from opportunity and who need the most support and investment coming off of COVID, living where they live and knowing what we know about the importance of early childhood education. It also has a negative impact on what we see happening in K-12. to It increases folks' chances of um, needing to have programs and supports and services that they're not able to have access to. Um, and it's overall problematic. And I think it it creates this challenge because we always are talking about student outcomes we want to see in K-12 education. And when we say K-12 education, while we say it, there still is this thought that we're leaning toward like high school. And what we forget is how important early childhood is, how important sure. that foundational learning is, how critical um, those educators, I think we were talking about this in class yesterday. And one of the things that I mentioned was when the jobs report came out last week, they talked about this 40%, this great gain and a large, the fastest growing group of people who had re-entered the workforce were women. And so I posed to the class, well, why do you think that was? Why was women the group that had the highest gain of employment? And I was like, well, schools are reopened and aftercares are open and, and summer programs, people are registering for things. And so we see this direct connection to employment and elementary schools and early childhood care. And so it's just unfortunate, you know, shout out to all of those young people um, who, who those families who are relying on school for their children. And we also think about like, just what that means when we cannot create more opportunities for our earliest learners and what kind of impact they have that has when they enter the schools. So it's yeah. crazy. Um, Doc, what, what were your thoughts when you read that, man? You know, um, because I spent time uh, in central office, it makes me ask, well, what are they doing in central office? Because somebody's responsible for this. Mm -hmm. And who, who's losing their job? Because in DC public schools, I just put it out there. Principals and teachers quickly lose their jobs mm -hmm. for stuff like this. You got principals who were super successful, disproportionately black women, we can come back to that, who lose their job, but yet largely, uh, what's the word I wanna use? inexperienced people who go through these fast track programs who have no yeah, idea yeah. what it's like 
You about to say a word? <laughs> no, I'm not gonna say the word. I'm, I'm gonna. No, I, no, 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 not the word. You about to say a word? A, well, I just yeah. think that somebody is responsible. It's a technical thing, number one, right? Like people actually doing their job. The other piece is do the kids who need it the most. And the problematic nature of the term at risk in DC government and funding. I've said this in front of DC State Board of Ed. And, and but anyway, I won't even go down that rabbit hole. But the people who suffer the most are black and brown children in DC as a result of this pre-K and their families. Did anybody in central office in DCPS love black and brown children enough to give a fuck about this? And I think there's a level of, do you give a fuck about our babies to work that extra eight to 10 to 12 hours that we hold teachers and administrators accountable for, but yet you can languish in mediocrity in central office, not just in DCPS, but in many school systems and still have your job. Yeah. And I just think when I saw this, I was shocked, like, so whose head is going to roll? Because this is a social, this is a civil rights issue. But we spending time talking about charters versus public, DCP, like, no, like, stop. Where's the teachers union on this? That's what I haven't seen. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't. <laughs> You, you already know what. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like so. You know what? what like so, but instead, people spend time arguing and debating over what color pencils we gonna use, and like, oh, is I, I just I, I was shocked. Like, yeah, but the you, bowl gets more attention in D.C. than this. Yeah, it's shocking, but it also is like you know, one of my good friends, Lauda from from New York, always tells me it's by design. And so if we cut these programs and we don't have better opportunities for our youngest learners, then we can perpetuate this narrative that they're all failing and these schools suck. And then we can ask That's for right. more money. We can close more buildings. We can fire more teachers. We can reduce more programs. We can increase reading and math classes and decrease all the social emotional learning and all of the arts and the sciences and all the stuff because right. we can, we are, those kinds of challenges are automatically poking the holes in the jug so that when we have a leak on the floor, we can be distracted by the water on the floor and less focused on the holes that are in the job. And this is where profiteering uh, in public education comes in because then they turn around and hand a $20 million contract to some 30 party vendor. That's right. <laughs> that they believe will solve the problem. I won't yeah. even go to, I won't even name names. Y'all sound wonky right now. And so, um, but I will say this, right? You hit on a point. That you know, so for, for the folks that are in the audience, right? Like a lot of times I'll build the show and I'll surprise them with topics they won't know anything about. Most times though, they'll put something in the chat and I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds interesting. And eh, maybe the fans want to hear about this, maybe not, right? And so then we talk about these things. But the fact that you alluded to this and this is here right now is kind of crazy. Um so where is it? Uh, Isn't that that text? Not that text. The picture, the no, one, the one no, year. No. Yeah, no. yeah. Let's so, go. How long should you have to teach prior to leading a school 
And so, Doc, we'll start with you because you're hot right now. And so, y'all already know my position on this. Okay, I've been I've said it before, and I will continue to say it. Yeah, I'll just cut to the chase. After year five, you finally figured out, or right at about year five, and this is not Simmons' conjecture. There is research on when teachers actually get it and are like clicking, right? Like statistical significance, like quantitative, qualitative. I, I as a teacher, if I would have walked into my building and my principal would have been, I don't know, fresh out of school or fresh out of I don't know, one of these random <laughs> preparation leadership programs that are part of the so-called Ed Reform machine. Sir, sir, sir uh, you have friends that are that, that are products of Broad and that falls into the same and that's category. And all that is true. Okay. And I would still give them the same critique. Okay, good. So I, I don't, it, this, this is not, uh, I am not agnostic okay. to that. Like, <laughs> I'm just very clear yeah. that like, the uh, education is the only profession where a lack of experience doesn't matter. Mm. Mm. If you, if you as a black person, I'll just go with black folks. If you wanted the best heart surgeon for your mom, yeah. would you want the person who got an A in biology at Harvard and had no medical training or was that a first year medical student? Absolutely not. Hell no. You would want the best, the person who's performed 8,599 successful heart surgeons on people. Of course. Yet, in education, we don't have that same standard. If you want to fight a war, you don't get the general who's fresh out of West Point. You go get the general who's been in here, there, and everywhere. If you want to get the best chef, and you open in a restaurant, you don't get to get cat right out of chef's culinary school. <laughs> if you want to win a championship in the NBA, you ain't banking on a rookie. Eh, you might. Absolutely not. Eh. Ain't no rookie other than Magic Johnson ever won that chip. And Magic won it as a, as a NBA fan because he was surrounded by veterans. Matt, yo, surrounded by surrounded by veterans, man. That was the first. That, that was like one of the the initial super teams. Like, yo, I, I think I I don't I don't think those, those eighty Showtime Lakers, man, and then yeah. even even the Celtics. Like, what? Like, they, yeah, they were super teams. Three or yeah. four All Stars on those teams. Hall of Famers. Yeah, I'm yes. with you. Like, yeah, I... like those teams were stacked. And so, like nowadays, when when we hear people talking about, oh yeah, you got to go to a super team in order to win a championship. They've always had super that's teams. Trash. There's always been super teams. Even my Pistons had Your a team team this because they had three yeah. Hall of Famers. You got three, you got three holes on there. It, and yeah, it they had Isaiah, Dennis Rodman, and Joe Dumas. Should be four. Yeah, I agree. Mark McGuire. Yeah, absolutely. And then even further, they had, had like, we, we done totally went aside. Yeah. You, had, so, you, had, you had Lynn Beer? Oh, see, don't, don't do that. Don't do yeah, that. My bad. Back to the question. Back to the question. The point of the <laughs> matter is, is that the amount of a time that you spend in a classroom yeah. matters. Because again, when did we become a 
community of educators where where you went to school dictated our understanding of your ability to teach. Oh, we've always done that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's that's like rooted in, in all of our like white yeah. supremacy stuff, right? Like you went to this school or this program, yeah. and so you must be inherently better than that thing. That's so right. I think it depends on what you want to do as an administrator. If your job is to be an administrator for three years to say you did it because you are fast tracking yourself to some other career goal, then I think you should think about <laughs> how you can get there without leading a school or sitting in a position without being a school leader. Mm. For those of us who have spent significant time in classrooms for multiple years, who have coached, who have taught multiple grades, who have been data, who have been teacher recruiters, who have served on all kinds of panels in schools. I just think that from my experience, you are more set up for success to be a school leader because you are first a teacher. As an educate, as a principal, you are the lead teacher in that building. And so if you have not spent a significant amount of time right. in the classroom around teaching, around veterans, then you don't even know how to negotiate yourself in the role of a principal within that group. I loved teaching. And, and even now, I'm not an fit. I mean, I, I teach, but when you're a teacher, no matter what positional role you have, that's that's what you do. That's it who you are. I think the challenge is we have commercialized what it means. We want to microwave everything. We say you can go to this four-week program. We can put you in the microwave, press two, read this book, apply some of these strategies, voila, and come out. The challenge is both around how long we are allowing folks to teach before they become an administrator. And when they become an administrator, what kind of schools are we putting them into lead? And what are the consequences? Well, you know what, you know what schools they're going into. Right. So when I was appointed at my school, I, I, and it was my first time as a principal, I was the third principal in four years. Like the last day of school, Karana Butler walked out and was like, it was nice knowing you. She was a third grader, but she had a different principal every year at school. She thought you'd get a new principal every year, just like you get a new teacher because she had experienced that much turnover. Do I think that I was probably had the most experience to lead a school like that? Probably not for a leader, it was my first time, but I understood teaching and learning. I understood community. I had been around teaching and learning enough to know that I could transfer those skills. And really as a principal, it was just a bigger office, same kind of work. I was still looking at data. I was still talking to kids. If a teacher was out, I would cover their class. So it also helped teachers know like, if you're out, Principal Harris is gonna cover your class. And so be prepared for her to come in here and be all up in your stuff, right? So I just, I think that same question around how long should someone be a teacher before they become an administrator? We can also push it and say, we got way too many district soups and district leaders who have never spent time leading schools. Agreed. So jumping in here and um, so I, I think my, my, my perspective is a little bit different, right? Because you, uh, uh, Rob, you said earlier, you like, yo, there's research that supports the fact that, you know, you need to have about five years in, or you need to have Mm -hmm. great depth of teaching knowledge in order to uh, be successful in a principalship. There's also data that points to uh, career changers that have come in and have had success with being, um, with being successful at being a principal. And then also, um, you know, 
there's also research that support. What matter of fact, when we're talking about research, you can make research say whatever you want. Let's be clear on that. Oh, stop. Let's be clear on that. Stop. And then um, you know, there's, re- there's no. research that, that does support uh that's those- an ed reform argument of why right. people try to validate the ridiculous nature of people doing two years of teaching and thinking they're experts. Stop. Well, hey, listen. So that experts, same organization used the study from Mathematica to demonstrate that their teachers were more successful. Stop. And the study was trash. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Hey, listen. So as long as we're on the same page, we're, we're, we're talking about the same studies here. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I've seen I've seen uh, some instances in which folks have been successful, but these are are folks that probably would have been successful in any field that they would have chosen. And so, um, I don't. Well, I don't career changes without training. No, 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 no. Career changes meaning meaning that folks that have come from like the military and like programs like that. So, like, and what it is. So you you said successful in the principalship versus like a good leader. Yeah. I think those are two different things because there are ways that you can be like mm. measured and say I'm yeah. successful as a principal because yeah, I did this, 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 but. Yeah. I, I can't keep any teachers. <laughs> we may yeah. have closed an academic gap, but I always got complaints. Am I building? So, so, so listen, let me let me let me, let me let me say this right. So I I, I always pause when we talk about ability to keep teachers, right? Because I feel like if you have a Belichick system in which everybody comes in and the system runs so smoothly to where all folks have to do is to do their job, right? To where if a teacher leaves and then you replace that teacher with another teacher who has bought into the system and kids are still learning at a high level, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, I I get it. My goal was to help my school become a great place to teach, learn, and grow. Right. We wanted teachers to grow and get better and be happy to be there. So, yes, there are systems that we need in place in order to see sustainable gains and and all the good stuff. But you also want people who feel like they want to be there, who are part of the community, who are invested. Not everybody wants to just teach for three years and be a principal. Some people want to be lifelong teachers and we want to create spaces where they love being. 100 percent. Absolutely. I agree. agree. But but listen, I was in Baltimore City and I was a union rep in in, in the schools that I that I was in. And uh, I seen some folks that I would never want my kids to be around. Oh, fair uh, enough. that, 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 That came to work every day to collect a paycheck. So just because you passed a certification test. That's right. Does not mean that you are equipped to be around uh, my kids, right? Yeah, so, Same very, principles. Just because you got that admin too doesn't mean you need to be leaving the school. Yeah, yeah. Listen, so we're 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 in the same space, but like, but given the fact that we are now on the trajectory to have the largest uh, wide scale exodus uh, of teachers since probably black teachers were uh, disenfranchised after Brown. Um, with this great resignation thing, what what are we doing in order to to to, to make this to make this occupation a career? So I I think folk I think too many folks are looking at this like looking at teaching like it's a job and not looking at it like it's a career. And that's what right. it used to be. People yeah. used to look at it like yo, this is my career. I <laughs> cherish this or whatever, right? And so now it's kind of like it's a segue 
it's like, all right, well, I go in, I do teaching. Uh, I, I teach for a couple of years. I become a principal or I teach for a couple of years. I move to ed tech. Right. And there's all kinds of bridges yeah. to kind of get you out of teaching. And folks don't want to stay in teaching no more. So, like, how do we get people to continue to want to be teachers? I think that's a million dollar question. And I think um, uh, and I, I think um, one of my doctoral students, I'm chairing her dissertation. She's a teacher in Baltimore City. And she's studying black women, millennial teachers. Mm. Um, And on this exact topic, like what, what would make you stay? And one of the things she told me the other day, I asked her, I said, well, what are you finding in the literature that's helping inform your, your research design? Mm. She said, well, there's a need to do stuff other than just pay. Mm. Yes. (laughs) That pay is important, Mm -hmm. but there are also things like class sizes. Yep. Um, people really thinking about whether you have flexibility because she was saying that what's happening around her is her peers, her millennial peers are seeing uh, other people in their peer network work from home. Of course. And have these flexible work schedules. Yeah. So they're like, well, the pandemic should have taught us like, what does it look like to do something innovative and creative with teaching using technology, mm-hmm. right? Now, what that answer is, is context dependent, right? Mm. And what, what she said to me was, these are the types of questions that millennial black women specifically, I wanna be clear, are puzzling through as teachers, right? They wanna find work-life balance based mm-hmm. on her early important. conversations. And she's just like, you know, what, what would be wrong with us teaching four days a week every other week and having that last day for professional development or time in my classroom to actually do the other stuff. Yeah, but it's not, like, the system is not built for that. Oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, what I think is what, what's needed to support teachers. I don't think the system is built to do that to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I just don't know, um, you know, like, and y'all have heard me say this, like, I don't really get summer vacation. <laughs> you nor okay. me, because it, it's, it's not like teachers set up any kind of appointments during the summer, because all of them shits happen during the school year. <laughs> I ain't say all that. I'm just saying. All of them. I'm just, from an <laughs> academic perspective, I just think that there's a way to leverage summer and redo the entire calendar, like, We've changed. There are different iterations of higher education calendars where universities have gone to trimesters to all sorts of things. And I'm sure that our universities where we went to undergrad, the the semester schedule has evolved over time in higher education. I haven't noticed the scheduling evolve in education to meet a new. Why would you change something that don't work? And and why would you change something that doesn't work? Because you don't want it to work. That's right. right. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. listen, man, we, we're going to, this is a continuous fight for us. It's always going to be a fight for us because we're working in systems that don't give a shit about us, that we're not designed to care about us. Right. Um, and yeah, and, and I, I think that's, that's, that's the, you know, speaking of questions that need to be answered, when is it going to come to time when we're like, you know what, this system wasn't built for us, it's not really doing right by us? why are we still in this system? It's the same thing with black people that vote Democrat, right? 
uh, I feel the same way. It's like, you know, you get all of these promises in terms of like what's going to happen and never happen. Oh, wait, one thing did happen. Katanji Brown Jackson. That happened, right? He promised that it was going to happen. It happened with bipartisan support. I said it. I did my dance. H, you called me out on my dance. Um, <laughs> but it happened. So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, excited that it happened, but I still, as y'all know, I still have questions every voting election cycle. If and I need someone to answer for me, what have Democrats done for Black people? Absolutely not. So, but 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 so speaking to that point, right? There was a, a, a article in the New York Post, and um, damn, let me let me find this article just so I can paint the context. Um, so hold on. Um, article, stop sharing. All right, so there's an article in the New York Post. Guy wrote, uh, guy, I think he's out of Stanford. Um, and so wrote, wrote, a, <laughs> he wrote an article and he said, because uh, I, I don't want to miss, I don't want to misquote this. This is important. Um, what does Joker say? Um, he, uh, uh he, he he says um so it's originally in the New York Post uh and he, he talked about two of the most powerful people in government in government uh vice president and then soon to be um soon to be uh a jurist uh both have married uh, white men and so uh this strand was more so like all right well would it be better for black women to marry white men was was the the thesis of of of, of this uh, of this article, and so my question to you all, and this guy, so so you know, folks definitely got at him uh, online, did a little research uh, about you know just who he is or whatever. He's married to a black woman, but I'm pretty sure that these are thoughts that other people were thinking as well, right? But he just had you know the audacity. To, to to bring it out into the into the into the forefront. So, H, what are your thoughts? Starting with you, what are your thoughts as a black woman of uh, reading that? <laughs> so you know, I just, I I just was not happy. Um, I was instantly sad for him. Um, and I also was like, he must not have a like a black woman as a wife. But then I remember that all skin folk ain't kin folk, and so that's a different topic for another day. Um, but I think it's awful. I think th- I I think that people can love who they want to love and and be with with whoever they want to be with. But it felt like he was it was a slap both to it was a slap to black men a little bit like. Mm-hmm. Y'all ain't never gonna be in the, in these connected to black women who are in these powerful, influential yeah. roles. Um, and then I felt a little like there was some. That's just not my that's not my call of action. That's not my ministry. Um, I I need there is something that I felt like he was saying that felt a little ugly and offensive to black family units and to the power that can exist 
with black men and black women when that is a choice that they choose to engage with. I'm trying to say this politically because I want to be, you know, I want to, you know, but yeah. And his book is called, Is Marriage for White People? Um, yeah. I haven't read the book, but. Don't. I won't. He don't get a dime <laughs> from me. <laughs> I think I blocked him just because I was offended by <laughs> that's my new thing I, you know I told you all a few weeks ago I sent my emails I hope this email finds you well protecting your peace and protecting your boundaries and when people talk crazy about black men and black women and black women and who they should date and white men and what they should do um, I block them so, yeah as you should as you should as you should um, so, so Doc what, 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 were your <laughs> what were your thoughts bro Man, y'all know I straight went to Google as soon as I saw that looking for this dude. Like, who is this cat? Yeah. And then I found that he's he's married to another Stanford professor who's also a black woman. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, what? What, what do you mean? Like, where, where is this coming from? Who are they talking to? Like, who are they engaging with in, before they... No, 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 no. no. Let, let's not, not in all fairness, in all fairness, let's, let's not blame her. She didn't write it. And he probably didn't go through her in order to get it published, right? And so let's let let's 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 be clear. No. No. I your partner knows about every PD that you do at your school and every That's the same argument. That's the same argument argument that we're having about about Clarence Thomas and and, and Jenny, right? Like what did Clarence know? What did, what does what does he not know? Like his spouses know. Well, I'm I'm not gonna get into Clarence Thomas. Uh, I've I've said enough over the years about him. But uh, to to the point around this article, yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I read the first half of it and was just like, man, this is trash. I ain't even finished it. I was so mad. <laughs> and were you mad or were you disappointed? Disappointed. Yeah, that's yeah. probably a better. I was mad. <laughs> Age black dude, right. dude on social media, like, lock. listen, y'all had Obama in that White House. They said y'all ain't getting another black man in there, is no matter what happens. I don't care who he is, he ain't coming in here. That's not right. That's not so, right. So, 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 uh, Katanji uh, Brown Jackson, we, we're seeing that you know, it's 50, 53 senators, looks like it's gonna be 5347. And you know who is in that 47, right? Tim Scott. Tim Scott. Yeah, he's in the no section. Yeah. In the no. Yeah. Shameful. How does how how does that how, as as an African American male, right? It's very disheartening to see him in the no section when he doesn't even have to be, right? It's like that doesn't that's not building any political clout for you, uh, by you being in the in the no section. As a matter of fact, it would probably build it would probably build you up if you were in the yes section because then you would have more black folks. That right. gravitate to you because they're like, all right, you have the ability to kind of, you have a spirit of discernment, <laughs> and I just don't, I don't get it. Oh, I get it. Like he believes, in order to win elections in South Carolina and other higher offices he may aspire to, that what I have found is problematic is that when the Republican Party plays to its traditional values, mm -hmm. Liz Cheney, mm -hmm. Kinzinger, mm -hmm. and a couple of others. Michael Steele. 
still um, thinking about small government, um, but also some Republicans being a little more progressive on social issues, conservative on the economy, things like that. I don't always agree, mm-hmm. but like they're, this iteration of Republicans, some of those same folks who are rat and I thought would be rational and reasonable mm-hmm. are playing to the lowest common denominator of the base. Yes. Right? yes. And yes. they're playing to white anxiety uh, about what the world is and what the world is becoming to them. Mm-hmm. And Tim Scott is playing into that in order for him to get elected, right? And I think that part of the challenge is that there are no term limits on senators. Mm-hmm. So like they they can do what they want and there's no consequence necessarily. Um, and these cats don't work for the American people. They work for their own best interests. Yeah. Um, and I, I just find that Tim Scott, while not surprised, um, I just find it ironic that he'll talk about police reform but then not understand the type of violence that Katanji Brown Jackson experienced at that moment. That violence isn't just the physical weight of someone kneeling on your neck. That's right. Yeah. It's the psychological weight of living in a society that normalizes bigotry, bias, patriarchy, and white supremacy and xenophobia and everything else. Uh, shout out to all my Arab brothers and sisters uh, in Detroit as it's Arab American uh, Heritage Month. Um, and I, I just find that that type of normalization of behavior and language is just as problematic as failed policy. Yeah. Right. And again, I think from a political perspective, I agree with you, Ray, like he could have been a moderate and I've talked to a couple of friends of mine that are in Maryland and they're like, yo, we would have actually voted for Larry Hogan if he ran for president. Yeah. Larry Hogan can get my vote. Can get my vote. Yeah, and and they were like, and these are Democrats, and they were like, because he's reasonable, we don't always agree with him, but he ain't crazy coming out saying wild stuff, mm-hmm. right? He has some social policies they don't agree with, but they could actually live, could have lived with Larry Hogan as president. Tim Scott had an opportunity to get those kind of in between voters, in particular those who are black and people of color who are like myself, who are independents, but typically vote with uh, uh, the Democratic uh, side of the ticket, to say like, eh, maybe. maybe you a brother, so mm-hmm. maybe you've got something sensible to say. But, but even aside from, from race, right? Like, and while we, it's hard to separate that because it's a part of everything that, that we do, right? But why, if, was there a better candidate? <laughs> Like, was there someone who, are they going to like all say no and then start back over again and like go to square one? Like why, if so he I, has I, enough votes, it it just speaks more to like who they value and mm. what's important to them. Yeah. And I, I hope that they remember that while we have a, a very quick, um, things happen so quickly that there's a new chain and people think that we will forget what happened because now it's a new story. So we're not talking about it anymore. It's not trending. I hope that these folks remember that, that where they are in history and that somebody will look at at where their position was and how they behaved and somebody will pull the transcript and they will read and, and make 
and make assumptions about who these people were and the kinds of ways that they behaved. And and I, I just don't know why 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 it has to be that way. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. The transcripts are definitely gonna be read. And uh and you know, it, well, then again, I don't know. Will the transcripts be read if, if, if Republicans have their way? Will will, will nah Jenny Thomas gonna show up and burn that joint. Right. And so you know, we got we got Somebody gonna, somebody's gonna be accountable. They still pulling up archives of our ancestors that were bought and said somebody one day, we might not live to see it, but somebody gonna pull the records. And somebody's going to have to be accountable to these actions and to these words and to the ways that people, the way that they behave as an elected official whose responsibility is to ensure that the, you are contributing to the democracy that keeps the people who voted for you safe and even the ones who didn't vote for you. Right. You you don't say I'm just going to protect the people who I rock with and forget everybody else. You're, that's why you have that job. It's for everybody, regardless of what you believe. Agreed. And to just, I, I think it's awful. So next segment, last segment, um, is uh, when do you, so everybody here has classroom teaching experience <laughs> and everybody here has been a principal. <laughs> and so when do you send your kids to the principal? Uh, H, we'll talk with you because this is, what do you mean? So, so I'm a teacher and my and my student is having some challenges and I am out of tools. I don't know what else to do. I've incentivized, I've I've ignored, I've restated, I've given a peer. Like when as a teacher do that, do I say like you gotta go? Yeah. I, it's hard for me to remember a time that I said you gotta go. I mean, That's like right. I said before, my motto was from nine to three, you belong to me. Now, if you wanna take this pass and take a walk and come back in here, <laughs> this work will still be here when when you finish. Right. Um, like I, I, it just it wasn't. And and as a principal, on the other side of that. I, I was like, yeah, so if you send them to me, that's it. Like, by the time they come to me, it, 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 that's all. You've, you've lost all your power, all your authority, all your... Every, all of it. If they want to come and now I'm the authority in your classroom and I'm not there. Because as soon as I do something, I, as soon as they do something you don't want them to do, now they got to come to me and then that becomes problematic. So, yeah, I, I it's hard for me to remember a time. But I also had great models. We had strong systems around behavior and culture. We had good relationships. Um, we always always had like a mentor or a buddy person. Like maybe it wouldn't go to the principal's office, but go see your buddy. Here, go run this errand. <laughs> we had a text chain that was like suchy suchy's on his way to you because I need a break. Right? I'm not suggesting that teachers endure if they know their breaking points and are close to it, then they should use some strategies around needing a break because we all are human and we all need it. But like that, go to the principal like wasn't a thing for me. It couldn't have been. I would have never been able to teach. Yeah. Doc, what are your thoughts? I'm an H. I, I don't remember. Um, I mean, and I, I, I had students, because I taught middle school. So I had students that would literally in eighth grade, they would be cussing at each other in class, right? Like, I ain't going to act like it never happened, right? And they would threaten to go to blows and things like that. But I also knew that uh, I had built enough relationships with families going over breaking bread, talking to families that I knew enough about the dynamic between a particular subset of students that 
I didn't have to send them to the principal. I might mention it to the principal in passing if I needed to. So as an FYI, especially if it was like some sort of community beef that came into the school. But I always said to people, like, once you, as a teacher, send a kid to the classroom or send it to the principal, uh, you've essentially thrown in the towel on that relationship, right? Because in order to own and manage that relationship with the child, you got to be with them through thick and thin, right? And so... Yeah, I don't remember ever sending a kid to the to the principal. Um, but I also had a principal who was a veteran teacher, was a veteran school leader that I could talk to about the strategies that I use. So I had an instructional leader where I could say, hey, here's what happened. Here's what I did. What you think based on your experience? You may know the family. Um, but at similar age, there was the buddy system where I would say like, and as a matter of fact, some of my middle school kids or most of my middle school kids are grown now. And when I go to Detroit, I get together with probably a dozen or more of them um, at a time. And they always talk about one of the legendary Simmons quotes was, now you need to take a walk, bro. <laughs> and literally, I would, I, was, I would turn around from the dry erase board and be like, look, man, all this you got going on right now, you need to take a walk. And when you ready, you need to come back and see me. Um, and I never had, and I was in a portable classroom, so they could have left school and went to the crib. But I never had any of that happen because I built relationships with my kids during my prep period um, early on in the school year, right? So I used to always say my prep period early on in the school year is my time with my kids, right? Because I need that time to build relationships because, you know, when it gets hard, I'll be able to navigate and, uh, you know, and it meant I, I had to work a few extra hours at the end of the day or on a weekend to catch up on grading and things like that. But I didn't have a lot of classroom because, again, it, and it was Detroit. So it was <laughs> it was snow outside. Oh, Simmons, it's snow outside. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, like I got some gloves. I got some extra hats. You need to go to Mr. Wright's classroom. Shout out to my homeboy, uh, Mr. Wright, still teaching math in the D. Um. You need to go see Mr. Wright or Miss Howard and you need to take a break. And then you need to come holler at me when you're ready to perform as the scholar and intellectual that I know you are. Yeah. And I would just say, too, before you jump in, Ray, and that is not to say that any of our new teachers or teachers who are struggling with classroom management, that you should right. not like feel this pressure that I got it. I can't send it to the principal office because I'm going to get in trouble because that's not good either. That's right. But I do think that there is a there is a way to both manage your classroom, maintain control, prioritize learning and safety, um, and still be human. And and I think I, I would never want a teacher to hear us and say, oh, well, I got to keep all these kids in the classroom, right? Because sometimes I think that's the stuff that drives teachers away, that makes them feel like they're not successful, where they don't feel like they have help and support. But, but that relationship and like understanding, especially for so many of our young people, where people are walking out on them and telling them to leave and going away from them and giving up on them all the time. We don't want to be another person in the line of history who's been who's writing young people off. And when we tell them to get out, 
in a way, we may be saying, I need you to take a break. But what they're hearing is you can be another adult who like doesn't believe in me and who I don't matter to. And schools cannot be places of healing and love and support and instruction if there is a thought that we can give up on you. That's right. Um, I, I was fortunate that in my school, like there was always somebody there who loved a kid who was difficult for other people to to, to create a relationship with. Always need that. Um, and it was good to have that. And I would say, I, I'm growing my capacity to love you. <laughs> and I'm really glad that Ms. Heffelbauer has that capacity. Why don't you go and see her right now? Like I was always so honest. And I, I had a student one time who was my patience master. Because I let them know I, I can get frustrated too. Like if you see me snappy and get like, I need you to check me. And he'd be like, okay, Miss Harrison, are you all right? Do you have your water? How are you feeling? And it was just a great way for us mm. to know like we all have limits. And we don't expect teachers to be supermen and superwomen. That's but right. we also do not want to miss an opportunity to give all of that power away by saying, get out, go to the principal's office. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, as a classroom teacher, um, I never uh, sent kids to the principal's office because I felt like, you know, if I send you to the principal's office, I'm giving away my power. Um, but then also, I felt like I was the principal of my classroom. So I would be sending you to me if I'm the principal of my classroom, right? And so I feel like the things that I could put, because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm 23, 24 years old when I first started teaching. And so that's a couple years after I pledged. And so for me, like, I can haze you without touching you back then, <laughs> right? And so like, yo, the haze was- no hazing on this show. The haze was <laughs> so real. So to the point to where it's like, what can the principal, what, what can the principal even do to you that I, that I can, like I can terrorize your life. And then not only that, I can pull up, I can pull up to your house and eat your food and then get you, get you hazed again by your parents after I tell them what you was doing. <laughs> so, it, 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 but it's all about building relationships with parents, right? It's all about building relationships with parents. And what I see uh, these days is that uh, teachers are so bogged down with things that they need to do or they have to do or that they're, that they're expected to do. Yeah. Where they don't even have time to build relationships with parents the way that we used to be able to build relationships with parents. I don't know. I don't know if it's a, it's a thought of like, you know, looking at everything that teachers need to do and then, you know, looking at ways to kind of take things off of their plate so that they can do the things that are most important. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Like at my, at my school, I try to do everything that I can in order to make sure that teachers aren't being bogged down with like bureaucratic red tape and that they could just get down to the business of being a teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's important. I know that in some uh, traditional public schools, there's so much red tape to where, you know, you, you it, it just, I don't know. It, I, I think it puts you at a disposition in terms of uh, what you can do as an educator. And I think charter schools mm -hmm. allow you the autonomy to be able to do a little bit more. But I'm starting to see in some charter schools that are trash, that you're seeing the same things that are happening mm -hmm. in traditional public schools. Hey, and it, hey, I've come a long way because... I used to didn't say anything negative about charter schools. That's progress for you, bro. It is. It is. It is. It is. But I, I acknowledge that all schools, all types of schools can be really bad for kids. That's right. And so, you know, it doesn't just have to be the traditional public school that's bad for kids. It could be any school that's not doing right by kids that could be bad. That's right. 
Yeah. But I think really good schools, though, like e even uh, like even charter schools, like your school's not going to be for every kid. And being able to have a transparent conversation with parents that are like, hey, you know, every kid ain't for every student ain't for ain't for this school. Right. Like, so, you know, if you have an, every school is a school of choice to me, if you have school choice. Right. So, like, if you have school choice, then every school yeah. is a school of choice, because at any point you can say, you know what? I don't like the school. I'm going to put my kid in another school. Yeah. And we can help transition that in a way that makes sense because I trust and have relationship with these other schools. I'm not bad mouthing this school. I'm not saying, oh, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go here. I'm being very clear about here at this school. It's it's what we talked about before, right? If I want onion rings, I have to go to Burger King. I cannot get onion rings from McDonald's. It's mm. not McDonald's fault that they don't have onion rings. And it doesn't make Burger King better because they do. It means that I have to exercise my choice to go where I need to get the onion rings if that's what I so want. And so that we have to think about that. Yeah, Hazen children. He yeah, he didn't. Hey, let me 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 get her right real quick, right? Because this is the same person that puts on social media the types of interactions that she has with her own kid that I would qualify as being Hazen. And now yet yeah, she's trying to call me out about Hazen. But whatever. As you're watching your kid outside with the snow shovel, right? That's Hazen. That's a responsibility. Hey, listen. And so, and so my interactions with my students is also building responsibility, building capacity, and doing all these other things, right? And so, listen, I've had at least four kids that have come under my wing that are now members of my fraternity. So, hey, listen. I mean, right. And here's the other thing. If when I was a principal, if a teacher sent the kid to, to my office, I probably wasn't there. I would be in yeah. other classrooms and kids yeah. would be like, we were looking at this person. Right, because yeah. I'm not, this is not, <laughs> who's in the office? My office door was open, the bananas and the oranges and the granola bars were on the thing. The walkie-talkie yeah. was in my hand and keys and we were on the move. Like if you, this, the, yeah. to be an instructional leader of a school that is trying to be transformational and make a difference, there is no, I'm just sitting in my office that's why we don't have breakfast. That's why we don't have lunch. And that's not why we're, we're not available there for kids. If you get without you roaming the building, you'd be loped because you're looking for Principal Harrison and she's not in office. Hey, sitting sitting up waiting for things to happen as opposed to going out and being proactive to make sure things don't happen. Where they do that at? I had a yellow vest in the back of my car in case Miss Peaches, shout out, God bless the dead, wasn't at the corner because we had yeah. to get kids across the street. Like this, we go, we can't move. We had to work. We got gaps to close, lives to change. Then nobody got time to be sitting around waiting for a kid who didn't turn in their homework or shopping their pencil without permission to come to the office. Who wasting that kind of time? It is it is a travesty. It is a 100 percent travesty that DC public schools did not harness you and make you love your position with the love that you're omitting right now and how these kids would have benefited if you were still in DC public schools. So whoever is in DC public schools <laughs> that ran you out, y'all trash. I don't care if you follow me. <laughs> wow. That's a good way to end it. Okay. Like, uh, happy Ramadan right. to all our Muslim brothers and sisters. <laughs> Shout out to those districts that are naming that and thinking about it in their schedule and allowing Muslim students and teachers and staff and families to have the time that they need if they are practicing Ramadan and fasting. So shout out for that. Yeah.
Uh, thanks for naming that. Appreciate you. All right, we'll see you next week. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll be in Houston tomorrow. I was supposed to be in Houston today, but I'm so dedicated to y'all. I wish I had a heart emoji I could put up. Like, you know, when you're on Zoom, you put like the heart. Peace out. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>